Hello and welcome to D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today we are chatting deep marketing insights with Charlie Grinnell, CEO and founder of Right Metric. Charlie is a friend of the podcast and one of the brightest D2C marketing minds I know. He cut his teeth with Red Bull's media team and moved on to help Aritzia scale their e-commerce. Now he combines deep competitor analysis with audience and content analysis to help entrepreneurs uncover their blind spots because as we all know, it's hard to see the label when you're inside the jam jar. We cover interesting examples of how to uncover surprising audience affinities, and you'll also understand exactly how brand owners can do their own research to find more successful creative formulas and influencer relationships. A lot of value in this one, folks. On with the show. Some people out there are like, don't follow your competitors. Don't copy your competitors. I just think it's bad advice. Imagine being like a sports team and showing up and not studying the other team you're gonna play. It's number one, looking at what they're doing, just knowing what they're doing. And so many marketers won't even look because they're so busy or maybe they just go, ah, no, we we need to do our own thing. We need to be innovative. That's where it goes back to this idea of like the early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. There's actually a book on my shelf behind me. It's called Will and Vision. It's a study of the most successful companies over the last 50 years. The thing they had in common, they were second movers. We as marketers are like, we have to innovate, we have to innovate. You don't necessarily have to innovate. You just have to do the thing well. With Tapcart, you can instantly turn your Shopify store into an epic mobile app and power a low upkeep revenue stream designed to convert mobile shoppers. And with Q4 just around the corner, there's never been a better time to set up your brand's mobile app. Just like Messi, who launched in 2020 and literally three times his sales, or Reason Clothing, who saw a 42% increase in sales over Black Friday, or LSKD, who reached number one on the App Store last year, beating out brands like Nike and Amazon. Mobile apps give your brand a new owned distribution channel with better conversion rates, higher AOV, and arm you with push notifications that just blow other channels out of the water when it comes to eliciting a purchase. Be like Messi and check out tapcart.com. That's T-A-P-C-A-R-T.com and get your mobile app started today. Welcome to the D2C Podcast, Charlie. How you doing? Hey, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's start with your background. You've got such an interesting background. Of course, you were, I have to shout out your introduction by Carly Craig, who was just chatting with earlier. She says you're one of her favorite people in e <laughs> Well, I mean, does she make you say that because she gave you a sword? I see a sword in the background. Yeah, so she, I'm like, she, or, sorry, a katana. A katana. It is a katana. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, she does. She doesn't make me say anything, but she just keeps feeding me great people for the podcast and for business. So I just keep, keep shouting her out. Well, Carly's an absolute gangster, so I, I appreciate that high praise from her. She literally wrote the book on email, so that's yeah. high praise. Literal. <laughs> the literal book. And if you, yeah, anybody listening should go check out that book. It's great. Okay, enough plugging of Carly. <laughs> She's great. But Charlie, you're, you're one of her faves. So let's give me your, give me your, your e-com background. Yeah, my econ background, it's its more of a marketing background, actually. So I got into marketing through video production back in the day. Um, and yeah, I was really interested in action sports. And so I started making videos. Fast forward, you know, next thing you know, I'm working in marketing at Red Bull and moving to the digital side of things. That's kind of what, where I got into digital marketing. And then I was there for almost five years. And then I left that, moved back to Vancouver, was head of social media at Aritzia. And that was kind of my first foray into like, the e-commerce side of things, because previously at Red Bull, you know, we weren't selling product online. It was a lot more awareness and there was some conversion stuff in terms of like 
event marketing, that sort of thing. But um, my first foray was kind of, you know, into the e-com side of thing was when I got to Aritzia. And then, yeah, the work we do with Right Metric now, after I left Aritzia, co-founded Right Metric, and we're a marketing research agency that helps consumer brands make better marketing decisions using both audience and competitor data. And so, yeah, that's kind of like how I went from like more the artistic creative side, more over to like the analytical numbers, research, nerdy, scientific data side. I can see how each of these huge corporations between Red Bull and Aritzia like informed your your background. What what was the biggest takeaway you had from your your long tenure at Red Bull? Yeah, I think you know, Red Bull's kind of the original gangster in terms of content marketing, right? So the stuff that they they do there and and I think the way that I was taught to think there and I got to work with some incredible people. I met some of my lifelong friends there. I'm getting married next summer and a lot of friends that I'm and, and co- ex-colleagues of mine at Red Bull are, are going to be coming to the wedding. So I got to meet some incredible people who are great human beings, but also pound for pound brilliant marketers. And um, I think it comes down to thinking about this phrase that we use now, marketing like a media company, right? Red Bull was kind of the original gangster in, in doing that. And so this idea of, hey, if people aren't going to buy the product or service that you're selling, how can they still spend time with your brand? And that's something that I think about a lot in, in marketing is, okay, at the end of the day, you know, Red Bull is selling an energy drink, but the, the whole kind of idea there is, okay, if they're not going to buy the energy drink, you're still going to spend time with our brand, whether you're going to watch our content, you're going to come to our site. I think about that across the board with, um, you know, we've seen this in a lot of trending businesses and a lot of businesses that have gone super big, like over invest and heavily invest in that area. And so one example that I give, we're starting to see it in tech and it's been covered a lot is when HubSpot acquired the hustle. I think like a big example there is like that's HubSpot going, whether you buy HubSpot or not, you are going to spend time with us. And so in their case, instead of standing something up, they went out and acquired something because they obviously want to try and get people who are kind of already in that ecosystem. Um, but I think you can say that there's there's dozens and dozens of examples across the board. And so that's, I think, the thing that I, I learned at, at Red Bull. And, and it's just good strategy where it's like, hey, if we couldn't sell our product today, what are we doing that still keeps people interested in what we're doing? And that also brings people in that, that, you know, brings people in who then might find affinity with your product. Cause it's, I think that's yes. the other big thing with content markets. You're trying to, uh, it's almost like, was it like stochastic or something? You're trying to like leave all these things around that people wander into and that enmesh you into your brand. Totally. Totally. And I think that's the thing is like, you know, we've seen this pendulum, whether it's brand or performance, whatever you want to call it, right? Like when times are good, when, when the economy is good, Marketers have a ton of money to spend on things that are further away from the sale. And when times are bad, they get pulled back into like, ah, what, what have you done for me lately? And like, how is this thing going to lead to a sale? And it's such an interesting thing because I think that there is that need to stay disciplined in, in the middle where it's like, yes, how can you do cool, interesting things that attract like-minded people who could be customers one day while also balancing that without like spending money on dumb shit. So it is definitely a balance, but I think like we look at, you know, you look at some of the best businesses in the world uh, across the board, they, they do have that in common. You look, and I don't want to put myself in that category, but you look at D2C and Pilot House. That's that's really we were started to be a media arm totally. for a digital agency, and totally. we just sort of, we sort of seamlessly integrate them into our content. They feed us content, we feed them clients with with listeners. And we bring in employees as well. We retain employees because we help we help give people something fun that they enjoy doing and, and help build their own notoriety. So it's been it's been a, a really interesting thing to be part of a of like a really, you know, a, a, con- a content marketing plan that's really worked well. 
Yeah, you're bang on because, you know, whether anybody listening to this podcast becomes a Pilot House customer or not, they're spending time with you. Yeah. And the more, and especially on a podcast, like we're literally in your ears right now. For like an and, hour. And so like yeah. for like an hour and uh, shooting the shit. So, so yeah, I think that, you know, it's, if you think about that across the board and you can kind of apply that strategy to any business in any industry, really. What about Aritzia then? You, you, and how, for your, for your tenure at Aritzia, what was your, what was your big takeaway? Uh, big takeaway there was incredible brand. Um, their, their business is absolutely crushing. I think it's, it's publicly traded now. So I think you can go see the filings when I was there in 2018, I think the business was like 870 million in revenue this year, next year, they're projecting two and a half million. So like, you know, doubling in five years is pretty good. Um, and I think that they haven't even touched the U S so that's like primarily when you look at the breakdown of their stores, I think, um, e-com aside, but their store footprint, I think like, you know, 80% of their stores are in Canada and 20% are in the U S and they only have like 20 or 25 stores in the U S and they've seen that kind of growth. And so I'm just going like, once they get a full retail footprint out there, um, because they are really, really good at retail. When you see, when you walk into their locations, they're, they're absolutely gorgeous. Like the design, the merchandising, like they're, they're so good at that. doesn't feel like a mall. No. And I mean, yeah. like they're, you know, the, the, they're, they're big time retailer, like they're a third generation retail family, Brian Hill and his father, Jimmy Hill. And like, it goes way back. Um, so they're great at retail. And then on the e-commerce thing, e-commerce, like if you look back with Aritzia, they actually started pretty late. I think it was like 2013 or something when they spun that up. Like that's only when they started to go into e-com and you know, Aritzia has a very particular way of doing things. And I think a lot of people, even me internally, when I worked there, I was like, ah, oh, we just need to move faster. We need to move faster. We need to move faster. But they're very much like slow and steady. This is how we do things. And they've kind of had this slow burn. And then when COVID hit, I think like, you know, they had to close a bunch of stores and like they saw like a little dip and then it was just like, boom, hockey stick. Like they had crazy takeoff there. And yeah, I mean, I think my, my takeaway there is that's a very competitive space and they are just so detail oriented in their approach, in what they do. They're really good from a product selection. They're always on trend. Um, they do a great job of maintaining their look, feel, their aesthetic, all that sort of stuff. I met some very talented people when when I worked there who are who are still great friends today. Uh, some of them have joined our team at Right Metric. Uh, others have become customers of ours. So yeah, really, really interesting business. And I get asked a lot like, oh, like, where do you think this business is going to go? I think it's going to continue to crush it because like, again, yeah, they've seen that doubling in five years, but we're just talking about North America. Like they're not in Europe. They're not in Asia. And their business is like just scratching the surface. They've been in business over 30 years. Like they're going to be around for another 30, 40, 50, 100 years. Like I just think the sky's the limit. We've got Zara over here like crazy. So we got to get Aritzia over there. <laughs> and, exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Him. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about Right Metric then. And what are the kind of insights that you're generating for what kind of people? Yeah, really good question. So we kind of call ourselves an all-in-one insight service for marketing strategists. And so what that basically means, there's kind of two areas, audience insights, competitive intelligence. So audience insight, who is that target audience that you're trying to reach? 
how do they behave? What do they talk about? What platforms should you focus on to reach them effectively? What type of content should you create? That sort of thing. So that's kind of like one half. And then the other half is, is competitive intelligence. So, you know, who's winning, who's losing, what's working well for your competitors, who are they targeting, what type of messaging is working well for them, where they're focusing. And what we found, like the kind of backstory behind why we focus on like those two areas is the last decade has really been about marketers using their own data, right? So whether that's looking at, you know, your Google Analytics, your Shopify data, your performance marketing data, email data, you name it, like we've always like looked at that and been like, huh, that's interesting, that's working. And like, let's go do more of that. And that's all great, fine and dandy. And that will continue to be a thing into the future. Absolutely. But hit how, the scale button. Exactly. Like, can I just press the button <laughs> to be like scale, please? Um, yeah. And so that that's not going anywhere. Um, but that's only half the picture. And like looking at your own data and, and only looking at your own data is like trying to survey the landscape with one of your eyes closed. That's the kind of analogy that we use. So when you're looking at your own stuff, that's great. But you're like this. And so by looking at those two other buckets that I explained, looking at your target audience, people who have the same characteristics or similar characteristics as your existing customers who have yet to buy from you, looking at how those people behave and also looking at what your competitors are doing. Um, and when I say the word competitors, it could be direct competitors. So someone who sells the same product or service as you or an indirect competitor, someone who maybe doesn't sell the same product or service, but they're going after the exact same audience as you are. Looking at those two kind of like other areas gives you a more holistic picture so that you can then be armed to make a better decision for your business instead of just going, hey, this is what worked really well for us. Like, let's just continue to go on this. Because I think the thing that we get questions about from our clients all the time is they go, hey, yeah, we have these customers and, you know, we're doing this, but like, it's not really working anymore. And I, you know, oftentimes it's because like, well, yeah, how you acquired a customer on Facebook in 2017 is very different than, you know, what you need to be doing in 2023 and beyond. And so like that changes. So like the things that you did five years ago to get them in the door is not the same behavior as the what the person who could be a great customer for you is doing today. Especially if you've mined that vein continually, you know, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Totally. And I think that's something we have, I've been talking about on the podcast a lot lately is this idea of blind spots that you have in your business because of the way you kind of do things. And like one of the ways that like Pilot House talks about breaking out of those is, is by pilot testing, which is with is basically like constantly testing new angles around a product to see like what might get drawn to it or whatever. I think of uh, my friend Brian Alston, who runs Greater Than, who is, who is CMO at a sports drink company. And they were marketing the sports drink, but then they found out through like intelligence that it was all lactating moms. It was this huge community of like lactating moms that and now they've repivoted the product away from athletics fully into because they uncovered this this huge section of their audience that that they didn't even know about, right? That's so interesting. Hiding in plain sight, right? And I think that that for I want to I want to double click into that that comment that you made about blind spots. So I'm a huge Shane Parrish Farnham Street fan. So for anybody listening, go to fs.blog, I think is the website. It's basically around how to make better decisions. But a lot of this, the frameworks and mental models that he talks about there are completely applicable to marketing and talking about like what we need to do as humans to be better humans, whether that's in our job and our personal life, is eliminate blind spots so we can make better decisions. So when I think about that, to your point, when it comes to, to marketing, um, he's a really big Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger fan. And I've actually read something Buffett did. If you go, if you type into YouTube Warren Buffett on how to read annual reports, there's this like six minute YouTube clip. 
and it's amazing. It's like in the seventies or something and there's Buffett sitting there in his suit. And I actually took a note of this cause I want to read this cause I think it's really, really interesting. And so this is Buffett on how to read annual reports. What I'm trying to do as I read reports is to understand what's going on in various businesses. If we own stock in a company within an industry and there are eight other companies in the same industry, I want to be on the mailing list for the reports of the other eight. I can't understand how my company is doing unless I understand what the other eight are doing. I want to have a perspective in terms of market share, developments in the business, trending margins, and all other aspects that I can't grasp unless I know what the other businesses in that industry are doing. I can't be an intelligent owner of a business unless I know what all the other businesses in that industry are doing. And that for me, I was just like, well, yeah, no shit. Right. And I'm like, I think about the same thing from a marketing perspective. Like, how can I actually sit there and go if you if you don't know what's going on in your entire space? And so that's kind of what led us to starting Right Metric is because when I was sitting at Aritzia, when I was sitting at Red Bull, I had a really good idea of what was working within our own. Like at Aritzia, I knew when we send an email, it would generate this amount of money. And, you know, this was going to sell. This is the type of creative for our existing audience. That's great. But that doesn't help us go out and get new customers. Like, what are we going to go and do and get new customers? Or is there something that Zara is doing that is absolutely crushing that we could easily spin up and take some more money off the table by, you know, just rolling out this little thing? And so I think like that's where it started to go, where it was like, hey, you know what? Looking outside your own four walls is quite fragmented um, and expensive and time consuming. There's a lot of tools out there, but it just takes time. So that was kind of the background of how we got into doing what we're doing. And I just think like, yeah, it's that that idea of removing blind spots is just the right thing to do from a strategic landscape in terms of your business at the macro level. And then obviously when you get into the different streams of marketing. Now, so that makes perfect sense on the, the competition side, but let's dive more into the, the content side and the complementary audience. T- talk a little bit about your strategy there. Yeah, so, so I think like it, it depends on questions, right? So when we think about, hey, you know, a customer comes to us and says, hey, we want to better understand this audience. So whether it's a pet food brand or an energy drink brand or a bank or, you know, an e-com brand, like you name it, content is a big thing because that's a big line item for them because they're going, hey, my two big line items are ad spend and like creative. <laughs> and so when we when we think about that, we go, okay, how can we help inform that creative so that you're giving yourself a better chance of being successful. And so I love what you said a little earlier with Pilot House running tests. We work with a few agencies as well that use our stuff to inform their tests, right? So like go upstream to be like, okay, here's the hypothesis and like here we're going to go test. In terms of like how it comes to life from a content perspective, there's so many different things we can dive into. We can look at things like how how the content is produced. So if it's a photo, is it a wide angle? Is it a close crop? Is it black and white? Is it color? Is it real life? Is it animation? Like that's specific because the goal, what you're trying to get out is what are the trends and patterns from a production perspective that we can use to inform our own creative? So if you go out and look at, okay, from an audience perspective of all the, you know, cat food content they create or or content from cat brands, we look at, wow, this audience, these th- these types of content tend to perform the best. Okay, what are the characteristics of that content in terms of how it was produced? And how can we reverse engineer that into kind of like a best practices list of like how that should be produced? So for for photo, it could be like, yeah, they need to be wide angle photos, real, real people, not like animated cartoons, uh, shot with like really highly saturated and big block text in the lower thirds. I'm completely making that up, but like that might be one thing. Or from a video perspective, it might be like, yeah, you know, on this platform on Instagram, it's videos that are about 45 seconds long. They have no music, but they have subtitles and 
they don't have any slow establishing shots. They jump, jump right into the thing. Like you can get into like all those specifics and why that stuff is really, really helpful is number one, you're looking at, you're basing your creative decisions on how people are behaving, what they're actually consuming. And then number two, the output there is something that you can hand to your team. So whether that's a creative agency or your in-house content team and go, hey, for our next version of this, I want you to keep these things in mind. And these are gonna help inform the brief for the content that's gonna give us a better chance to be successful in the future. Uh, you, when you look at a, at a blank ad manager for a campaign, like you can, there, you can literally do anything. You, know, totally. you, can literally, you can literally put anything in there. You can promote almost anything. <laughs> and course. so just knowing, knowing like what to do or knowing what yeah, some basics about or what not to do, you know, I, I can see that being hugely valuable. Can, can you give me, because I know I was just browsing your site yesterday and actually we're going to, I think we're going to publish some of your research. Talk about like some of the insights that you've uncovered and what, what, what they've led to. Totally. So uh, I can talk about a pet food company that came to us and they... Uh, had this big content plan that they had put together and they were like, Hey, you know, we really want to focus on these types of platforms. I think it was like Instagram, TikTok, And they were like, yeah, we, we've kind of come up, we've had this creative brainstorm session. We have all these ideas and they were like, but you know, before we go invest, I think they were going to spend like over a million bucks shooting all this stuff. Um, they were like, we just want to make sure that like we're headed in the right direction here. So we did a huge analysis, digging into all of the top performing content on those different types of channels. And what we do is, we, it's called a social content opportunity analysis. That's the name that we have for it. Basically, pull all the content into one place, and then we start to group all of the videos into topics and themes, right? And then what we do is we take the average amount of video views and engagement for everything. So we're like, here's the average. And then we layer all of those topics and themes in. So you can see like, here are the top performing topics and themes and here are the bottom performing topics and themes. What was really interesting, I think we did that for like 15 different themes. Uh, they had like six or seven content ideas and five of them were in the, like we're performing like do not do. And they didn't give us that list ahead of time at all. Like we went away and we were just like, we're looking on behavior stuff. So it was a really interesting conversation after because like, you know, we're not, we're not an agency and like, we don't produce content. Like this is our thing. So we're like, Hey, if we were in your shoes, we wouldn't light a bunch of money on fire and go create that content that you now know that the audience isn't really consuming, but here's seven or eight other ideas that we know that the, that the audience is eating that up. So can you take some of these ideas and some of those core key messages and pivot those to fit into these types of formats? So whether it's, you know, a story narrative or the way things are edited or whatever, like that's like the specific kind of nuance there. But yeah, I, I just look at that and and the, the head of marketing after said, thank you so much. Like we would have, we were gonna go like full steam ahead on this and like, it's just so obvious that this would not have been <laughs> where we wanted it to, to be. And she's like, it actually saved us from making an even bigger mistake. So number one, spending the money to create the content. But she's like, number two, we probably would have released it. It wouldn't have done well. And what would we have done? Put more money behind it because that must be the problem. And so she's like, it actually saved me from spending even more down the line. She's like, so that's, that's like kind of one example. And we have examples across the board of things, right? Like whether it's, whether it's content or influencers, right? Like that's another topic is like, what influencers should we work with? Who should we work with? And they'll put together a list of influencers that they want to work with because so-and-so's boss follows that person and thinks they're cool. Um, instead of getting an understanding of like, this is the audience we're trying to reach. These are the people who have influence over said audience. And this is example. 
examples of the types of campaigns that they've done with brands in the past that have shown success. And, you know, you can see like, do they drive traffic? How much awareness do they drive? Like all those different things. You can see that behind the scenes if you do the analysis um, instead of just going like, oh, th this influencer X. Yeah, cool. I'll pay 50K to that person without even looking like that's just crazy. So we've done it from a content perspective. We've done it from an influencer perspective, um, basically every area of digital. It sounds like a really human process, and I'm I'm curious I'm curious about your take on on AI in this in this space and and how how you're using it. What, what yeah? What are your what are your thoughts there? Yeah, really good question. So it is a human process, and I think that's the thing is like um, why we kind of built our our company is like we're using over thirty different data tools uh, to pull all this stuff together. And I've been asked over and over again, why don't you just build a tool? And my kind of response is every marketer I've talked to, the last thing they want is another login to another tool. Um, so that's, that's, I think kind of number one, but number two is there's so much contextual nuance in getting this stuff right. And I think that's where AI is amazing, but that's where AI falls down is context and that nuance. And so I think that's where we as humans have a huge advantage is like we're upstream and, and we are the ones feeding in that context to the AI. And so that's where, you know, some people go in like, oh, is our jobs going to be replaced by AI? And it's like, well, no, your job's going to be replaced by another human who uses AI to be more efficient, right? Like, I think that's been said somewhere and I'm not the originator of that quote. I said it like five um, times. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of, in terms of how, how we're thinking about it, um, there are some things that we do that are super, super manual that AI can do. So I'm talking about like manually pulling in posts and counting them or ju just things like that where it's like, yeah, we do this and it takes our team 12 hours or, or 16 hours, like two full days, a person going back and forth and formatting something like this. So I think that can that's where AI can save us time. I think, um, what, let me back up a sec. When I think about like what our team does, we gather data, we pull it into one place, we clean it, the data, we organize the data, we visualize the data, and then we generate insights out of the data in, in plain English. So if we look at all of those different functions, gathering the data, yes, there's AI things that can help us automate that. Right now we do it manually, we pull from all these different tools, we could build something in the future that allows us to do that. Uh, cleaning it, obviously cleaning spreadsheets, there's tools out there that do that. Visualizing it, yes, there are things where it's like, cool, you can just point a couple CSV files and boom, it'll like automatically spit something out. I think where it gets interesting is where humans are still involved is picking the right data sets to go into the AI. I think about it like baking, right? Like what's going in the oven? You have to know the right ingredients for it to go in. And every time we get a, a research request, it's a different cake that's coming out the other side because you know they might say, hey, I want a chocolate cake, but it's like, ah, oh, I'm actually allergic to the sprinkles. So it's like, you can't just be like, I'm gonna spit out the same one every time. So there is that nuance. So upstream, there's always gonna be that thing of like, what data sets do we feed in? And then also on the back end is like, has it actually found the right thing and how are we checking it to make sure it's correct? So yeah, we're super excited about it because uh, you know a lot of people have been asking us like, oh, is AI gonna like, disrupt your business and we look at it where we go, actually, it's going to probably make our team more efficient. But the value that we still provide is like having humans on the tools that are answering these like really strategic business questions for our customers. I'm just, I'm just scrolling through your insight library. Yeah. And there's some just, yeah, some really interesting, like what, what do you think are some of the more in, like, what would you draw attention to on your insight library as something that like was, was sort of specifically good or like high value? It's all high value, but like what's specifically high value content that you, or insights that you pulled out there? 
Uh, I think the one that everyone loves to read, it's it's free if you go to the, the rightmetric.co and then click Insight Library at the top. It's uh, we tore apart the launch of Wednesday, the Netflix series, like the Adams Family spinoff. Oh, interesting. Um, and so it's like a 50 page doc that like just shows like, here's exactly what they did. Here's how they did the rollout. This was like pre, during and post. And it just tells the narrative of like how it went viral. And there were some things there that they engineered. And then there were some things there that they got lucky. So one of the ones that I go to is like the, the t they, you know, they, t they do their typical like Netflix is releasing a trailer and like off they go. But then what they also did was they on TikTok, they looked at TikTok trends and they created some videos based on TikTok trends. So um, there was one like Wednesday Adams, uh, the trend on TikTok was like, they'd go up and they'd tap someone on the shoulder and be like, hey, what are you listening to, right? Um, and so I think they like walk up to Wednesday Adams and tap her on the shoulder and they're like, hey, what are you listening to? And then she responded with like the screams of my brother Pugsley dying or something, right? So it's like, it's like they're taking a trend but making it relevant to the show. And they like put that on TikTok. And I think after 24 hours, like it started to pop and they dumped like a bunch of money behind it. They dumped like 800K behind that single post. And so like, they just like dumped money behind it. So like a couple things there from a content perspective, that's really interesting to be like, look for trends, hijack one of those trends and do it in a way that's like not cheesy and shitty, but like, can you create a, a solid piece of content that ties into what you're doing? So that's number one. And then number two, if you see it starting to work well, pour more gas on that thing. And so like, that was one example. Or another example was um, after the show was released, uh, a bunch of people started ripping and uploading stuff to YouTube and different platforms. And so someone took this like really awkward dance scene uh, where, I don't know, I'm not, maybe I'll do, I'll do the dance. It was something like this. She does, she does the super awkward, awkward thing, but here's what's crazy. Someone took that and cut it with a Lady Gaga song, which was not the song that was used in the show. And as soon as they attached that visual to the Gaga sound, holy cattle, it went ham, like 45 million views or something. And this is where it gets good. So like, usually most companies are like, that's our content, we need to keep it on our channels. They were engaging with it, they were like big up in it, like this is great. And then, so okay, people are kind of freaking out, it's getting more and more traction and distribution, and then, I don't know, a week or a couple days after, Lady Gaga then recreates her own video herself doing it. And it's like, I don't know, we don't know if that's engineered or behind the scenes, but like there was so much hype that, sh that Gaga was probably like, well shit, I wanna get on the mix here. Like this is awesome. And like off they went. And so it just talks about like how to extend, you know, a release strategy for something. So that's something that we did we did that piece of research for a big media company. I'm not allowed to say the name, um, but it just it, like, that's a piece of research that's free to the public to look at right now on the site. And it's just really interesting to be like, what are the core kind of like pillars of that strategy? Like how do they structure things? And then what are the little tactical elements that, that you could steal and think about when you have your next big release? I think you got to break down the grimace shake. Do you know the grimace? You do know I the don't. Grimace shake? I'm not. I'm not familiar. Please enlighten me. Oh, oh, the grimace shake is they launched a, a, a McDonald's launched a shake for grimace grimace's birthday, and then influencers got a hold of it and started this whole like niche of content where people are like, oh, grimace shake, this looks great, and then they drink it, and then it then the, a record skips, and then they're just static, and then they're just laying there with like a light bulb swaying <laughs> above them in a pool of purple milkshake. <laughs> And I think it's like, and, uh, and oh. it's on, like it, millions of people did this. And, you know, there's even, there's, there's this, you know, uh, uh, one of my favorite things was the guy explaining that this was a marketing stunt. And then yeah. it has this famous bassist playing this like crazy bass line yeah. over top 
top of it. And it's just like, and, but he's just like, but you still drank the goo. He's like, you still <laughs> drank the purple goo, which is what McDonald's wanted the whole time. Of course. <laughs> yeah. You're still, you're still buying a shake. You're still doing the thing. And like they're moving units, so they don't care. Yeah, like I hope I hope someone else in the audience knows about the Grimace Shake. Email me and tell me that I'm not the only one. I think Mike, I'm gonna have to go look that up now. You'll have to go look up the Grimace Shake. See if it, I want to know yeah. if it was them. I want to know if they if they if they did the first like the Grimace Shake kills you or not. I don't know. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that would be interesting. I'm gonna take that away and maybe get our team because like we we do pieces of research occasionally where our team's just like we find this interesting. We're yeah. just gonna dig in. Like no client requested this. Off we go. We're going to go and dig into that just because we think it's cool, it's topical, it's relevant, um, and what can we learn from it? So, like, the Wednesday thing, that was one where it was just kind of perfect storm. Like, a customer um, was was asking us a question similarly, and we were like, oh, well, what an example. Like, here you go. So, My- uh, that would be one example. But in, in the library, there's, I think we have almost a 1,000 pieces of research in there, anywhere from, like, 10 to 50 pages long. So, yeah. There's tons of different things in there, whether it's about advertising, email marketing, content, channel selection, influencers, like you name it, it's in there. Yeah. And there's just even just specific like deep dives on market sectors and what, you know, so I think, you know, if if you're running a brand, even just go check to see if there's, if there's something here free for you. Um, yeah. The idea that I love that I wanted to, to 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 click into a little bit was, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I, I think it's interesting. It's I, I did a did a SEO keyword research on one of our you know quasi competitors, and it was an influencer marketing website getting huge huge amounts of traffic, and I and I looked into it and I saw that like over ninety percent of the traffic they got were on the keywords OnlyFans, where they had created a bunch of content around like OnlyFans versus influencer marketing, and and they had a whole bunch of stuff for resources there, and I just thought of, of that as like a really smart way to capture another audience that's sort of yep. you know maybe akin to yours, uh, yep. and I think that's that's probably something you guys do as well, right? Absolutely. I think, and that's why I go back to uh, that example when I said direct and indirect competitors. So, you know, at, at, when I was working at Aritzia or when I was working at Red Bull, yeah, at Aritzia, we competed with Zara, we competed with J. Crew, we competed with traditional fashion brands. We also competed with BuzzFeed. We also competed with like media companies. Same thing at Red Bull. Like we were same, like we were competing with who has just general attention. And when you zoom out and back up, right? There's 24 hours in a day. Hopefully, most of us are spending eight of them sleeping. <laughs> and then another, you know, six to eight are spent maybe working. Then there's commuting. Then there's like all those different things. So you think about like, okay, that doesn't mean there's 24 hours to reach a person. That probably means on an average day. I don't know. I'm just going to say ballpark. There's people are on their phones eight hours a day, let's say. So that means there's eight hours there. Now, within that eight hours, people are messaging. People are like doing all these different things that they do digitally. And so, yeah, you might have a, a, a great product or service, but you have to think about like, I, it is so hard to earn someone's attention today. So what am I doing to stand out? And there are some, some brands that are very lucky that, you know, whether they sell a product that, that is, you know, constant that just automatically shows up or whatever, you know, groceries, toilet paper, like maybe, you know, they're, they're probably not fighting for that awareness in the same way, but, um, some brands are. And so I think like, number one, thinking like that and just recognizing like, you're not just competing with, you're not Coca-Cola just trying to compete with Pepsi. You're also trying to compete with like Netflix. You're in the attention economy. (laughs) You're in the attention economy, right? So that's number one. And then, so, so number one, you know, accepting that. And then number two is, okay, now that I know that, what are some of those creative things that I can use to, to steal? And that's, that's where I, I go at like this competitive intelligence stuff. 
you know, some people out there who are like, you see these LinkedIn posts where it's like, don't follow your competitors. Or you shouldn't be looking at your competitors or don't copy your competitors. I just think it's bad advice straight up. That's like showing up. Imagine being like a sports team and showing up and not have studying the other team you're going to play. Yeah. That's a really great way to lose the game. And you got to trust Buffett. Uh, Buff- Buffett said it pretty well. <laughs> Buffett said it pretty well. But like, that's a great way to lose the game. So I think that's the new there's there's the nuance there. It's not copying them. It's number one, looking at what they're doing, just just knowing what they're doing. That's re- to your point. Like, oh, they were it was from this like influencer thing and OnlyFans. That's interesting. And then you even unpack the insight yourself when you ask the question. You were like, oh, then they went down and they created these types of things. Yeah. That's an interesting strategy. And I think that like right there without looking, you would have never known. And so many marketers won't even look because they're so busy or maybe they just go, ah, no, we, we need to do our own thing. We need to be innovative. And I think yeah. that's where it goes back to, you know, this, this idea of what's the phrase, like the early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. Um, where it's I, like, I've not heard the addendum <laughs> where, <laughs> where it's, it's like, better. you know, being 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 second and and there's actually a book on my shelf behind me it's called it's called will and vision actually i'm gonna grab it just give me one second yeah this book will and vision how latecomers come to dominate markets so this thing i got on amazon gerard tellis and peter golder my, i got a used copy on amazon with like someone who's written all over this thing but this book basically it's a study of the most successful companies over the last 50 years the thing they had in common they were second movers. Hmm. And so I just think about that as like we as marketers are like, we have to innovate. We have to innovate. And I, I just go like, you don't necessarily have to innovate. You just have to do the thing well. Apple. Apple wasn't the first thing. Like Steve Jobs openly talked about how he was like, oh, yeah, like I saw the Xerox or the Compaq, like whatever, saw the thing. And that gave me the idea for the first mouse. And it's like he didn't invent that. He just like was a fast second and did a better job. So I think about that with marketing, right? And that's how I think about these types of things where it's like, you don't know until you look. And you don't know what you don't know. And you and you should be looking at things, looking at ways you can get outside your blind spots in all aspects of, yes. of how you build your business. Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, the phrase that, that you and I love is where like, you can't read the label when you're inside the jar. Yeah, can't, don't always know it's lube when you're inside the tube. <laughs> I just, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's so great you need to trademark that <laughs> i think i think that should definitely be trademarked uh charlie i think we need to i think you might have to be a reg you might have to come back and uh would and love just, that. And just just chat chat through consumer insights anything that you would leave people with for uh right now or you know the, the, the people are, are prepping q4 they're really planning and manifesting the to make you know half their sales in in that yeah. in, in those few months or those few days what are what are any insights around uh, around black friday yeah, I think I, I think where I would start is there for, there are tools that you can use out there, whether it's Similar Web or SEMrush or like these types of tools that exist. Use those to go back where you can and see what happened last year, just to see like who did what where. Because I think history history can be great. It's not going to give you all the answers, but just like getting an understanding of of that is a really good solid solid foundation. And then look back at your strategy last year. Okay, what worked well for us? What didn't work well? What were the assumptions that we made there? What were where was the market? And when I say market, like where was the financial market? Where was the world? Like it, a lot changes in a year. And then also just just think about 
how can we focus our efforts on doing the things that are actually going to be the most effective? And I think that obviously a lot of businesses change, but a way that you can do that is by looking outside using some of these free tools available. So um, yeah, I'm always encouraging people to just like, how can you eliminate those blind spots? Do a lot of that looking right now because yeah, it's August and you know, before we know it, they're already planning for, for holiday. There's a treasure trove of information of stuff that's, that's tried, tested and true. There's some stuff that's going to be topical and trending that isn't relevant. Oh, last year, this was a trend that like happened and will never happen again. But there are things that it's like, yeah, five, six, seven years old. This just seems to work. This is bread and butter. It's not sexy, but it works. So um, all that stuff is sitting there. Uh, and so I would just encourage people to, to look and spend the time because the work that you do now in terms of that you know, reconnaissance, gathering intelligence um, is going to make the decisions that that you ultimately make for your business a lot better and, and hopefully drive the types of outcomes that that you're looking for. Well, one of my favorite cus- uh, research hacks that I heard uh, at my event in, in Las Vegas is just create another TikTok account that and only follow people that are in your niche. Only follow influencers totally. that are in your niche. Only follow all the other competitors in your niche and just have that. Do it if, on YouTube if, as well. Yeah, if you're going to scroll, if you're going to spend some time scrolling, spend some time scrolling your competitors and, and soaking in what they're doing. Totally. Fake a ca- proxy account, like whatever you want to do. Uh, check, you know, check out their ad, like do all of that stuff. Um, yeah. And any, and I think the one thing that I'll say though is do it. And then when you're looking at that stuff, like say on TikTok, like get an idea of like that type of what, what is the content, but like, has it gone big or not? Like, that's a big thing. Like I love swipe files, but I think the, my only beef with swipe files, and I don't mean Corey Haynes who started swipe files. I'm not talking about like Corey and swipe files. I'm talking about the, the concept as a whole of swipe files. Um, taking things that inspire you is great. But a big missing piece of that is quantifying it, right? Because I might take something into my swipe file that I think is awesome that was a complete flop and nobody fucking cared. And so that's, I think, the big thing is like if you're going through TikTok and you're scrolling through and you're like, oh, that's a really interesting piece of content, just check and be like, how many views did that generate? Oh, shit. Okay. I'm not the only one who thought this was cool. Yeah. Right? Quantify things. Because otherwise you get into art project territory. Yeah, and you'll follow what you're interested in. You'll follow your aesthetic as opposed to getting into your your customer's head necessarily. Totally, exactly. That's the name of the game is like, the, you know, what can you do to make it not about you? And that's something actually when at any brand that I've worked at, whether it was Red Bull or Aritzia, is is like, it doesn't matter what I want. I care about what the, the, the audience or the customer wants. And so like, I'm trying to obsess to figure out like what they want. I don't, if I think it's cool is irrelevant. I want them to think it's cool. I think what they think is cool is the actual cool thing. Yeah. It's just, it's just such an interesting time where you have these huge organic movements that are kind of like running through the world, whether it's the, whether it's trends on TikTok or whether it's economic things. And it's sort of like, it, I think it's a, it's a tumultuous time, but it, it just creates a time for more opportunity if you can harness the momentum in the right way, right? Because there are these mass movements. Totally. I mean, one of the ones that I would call out that we haven't even talked about is like, I think YouTube and shorts specifically are a dark horse uh, in terms of like the social video side of things. I think everyone has been like, oh, like TikTok and Instagram. And I'm like, shorts is like right there. And they have a fascinating underlying piece of infrastructure that gives them an advantage that Instagram and TikTok don't, right? So, I, I mean, I have a whole spiel that we could go down a rabbit hole on that. We could save that for another episode or talk about it now. But um, yeah, it's. I just think like we're seeing these seismic shifts of, of platforms and uh, it's, it's really, really interesting. Platforms, people's behavior, uh, you know, regulations, privacy regulations, like you name it, shit is changing. 
Okay, we will save that for another one. Um, the, just a lot. Are you have you been aware at all of Alex Harmozy's launch? I, I mean, Is I that know on your radar. I know Alex Harmozy, but I have I'm not aware of his launch. Enlighten me. Just that would be another one. I would just put in your I would just put in your in your list to take a look at because I have never seen something like I I kind of was really in the performance marketing world for uh, almost a decade, and so I've got I've got a lot of these contacts in that world. Uh, you know, on my Facebook, for instance, and I have never seen these people react more to what Alex Hormozzi just did with his most recent launch. And I didn't even really dive in yeah. to what it was or how much he made from it. But there was there's something going on with him and his cult that is. <laughs> Uh, you're extremely powerful in the market. Him and so his gonna, cult. I'll, I'll, him and his cult. Well, we're all trying to create our own cults, right? We're all trying to create. There's even there's even a Netflix show about it. So yeah, I, yeah. Actually, I watched the I watched the trailer for it. That looks really really interesting. I mean, there's there's something there. There's something there. I think we should start a cult, Charlie. And, you and I. Uh, yeah, I think it would be a good one. I'm down. Whatever whatever it's going to be about. Maybe purple McDonald's milkshakes and not reading the yep. label from inside the jar. Yep. 100%. Lube in the tube or whatever you said. <laughs> Leave the lube in the tube. We'll call it a day. <laughs> thanks a lot, Charlie. This is fun. Hey, thanks very much for having me, Eric. Can't wait for the next one. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.